Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to episode 135 of Wait What? A comics and pop culture peaceling. The on-again, off-again peacelinging world of Graham McMillan is on again as he joins me for two hours of funny book mouth noises, with topics today including The Mighty Avengers by Al Ewing and Greg Land, Batman 66 by Jeff Parker and assorted amazing artist types, Murder She Writes by John Allison, Prague 1850 of 2000 AD, various titles in DC's Villains Month including Dark Side, Reverse Flash, Cheetah, and more, Mars Attacks Judge Dredd, Zero by Alice Cott, the 39th issue of Prophet, and an Abyss Gazes Back-style examination of the entrancingly terrible Secret Society of Supervillains trade paperback. Show notes of a somewhat hasty kind are available for this episode at SavageCritic.com, and we welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! I can't believe Jeff it! Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! I can't believe it! Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! I can't believe it! Hi, everyone. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a shame. We may well have ended up doing that for about two hours, except... I- exactly. That would be great if the episode was just, uh, like, you cut that for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe someday soon. We'll see. The uh, The travel schedule is making, it, making the idea of podcasting over the next month kind of interesting. Hey, Jeff, I've just got to say this right now. I don't know if it's the light where you are or what, but your beard's looking a lot more white than it used to. Was that Reno trip horrible? <laughs> it probably was. I think you're right. Yeah, look at that. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it. You know what it might. You know what yes. it might be. Mm-hmm. We're getting into like we're getting towards the end of the year. You're going to turn into Santa Claus with that beard, aren't you? <laughs> you know, the scary part is the number of people that have suggested that, and I'm like. All I want, and this is probably just because I'm an exhibitionist, I just want to be old man time for New Year's and, like, walk out wearing a diaper and a sash. Like, the Santa Claus thing uh, seems like way too much work. Wait, 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 wait. Old man time, no. Old man time wears, like, the robe. It's the baby that wears the diaper and the sash. Damn it. Well, you know, I think... Oh, you know what you should do. <laughs> yes. Does it's it get me into idea. a diaper and a sash? Yes. <laughs> then I'm into it. Let's go. Go go to your New Year party, right? And before the bells, have the 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 robe and everything, right? Right. And then when the bells go run into the, to- the bathroom, shave off the beard, <laughs> take off the robe, and on the diaper. I should be like, I'm 2014, everyone. I think I'm just gonna like tear off the robe, and there's the diaper and the sash, and I don't know, like a baby, like tattooed on my chest. That that could also work. And th- <laughs> thanks for putting the idea of you having a baby to do new chest in my head. You're welcome, thanks. everyone. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take a moment now. That's, That's right. That, yeah. Really. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so so, Graham McMillan, how is it's hey. been like a few weeks? How's it been? It's been like seven million years. It feels like. <laughs> is it is it just me? Does it feel like it's been a really no, long it, time? It feels like it for like, me too. Yeah. It's been two weeks, but it feels like it's been forever. I'd want to know is, how do we talk? And honestly, it's been two weeks. This is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, this happens to us before. It's like, we just stop doing it, and we must be such creatures of habit that we're just like, Ugh. you know, like, I don't, I, I it's like... Well, it, it, it also, I mean, you've got to bear in mind that you and I both also have had, like, family... Oh God! Yeah, mm-hmm. during the during that two week period. Yes, uh, and that also that always just like messes with your idea of time, like whether it's good or bad. Having a family event 
is going to make you think that everything before that event was like a hundred years ago. Yeah, so true, so terrifyingly true. So yeah, <sighs> so, yeah we that's that's what went wrong. The mm-hmm. both of us at family events, and so both of us are just like, what the fuck? So yeah, listener, you should know. The earlier on, Jeff and I were emailing, and we're both like, I, I was doing fucking family stuff. I haven't, I haven't read any comics. What are we going to talk about? Um, but luckily, that's not completely true, because you've got stuff that you you had bought before the family trip that you're doing. That that's you right. Read, right. And I've been buying stuff digitally, and as, as I told you, been getting sent the comps for the DC Villains Month, because DC is trying to kill me. Um <laughs> Uh, for for the for Jeff, but sadly not the listeners. Um, I'm going to hold up the stack of everything that DC have sent me since you gate since you la- uh, you and I last talked. Okay. <gasps> oh my! What? Oh yeah. ah! And that's not even all of them. Because here's the thing: DC are sending out comps for Villains Month, and like they miss some out, and it's not an accident because they miss them out to every reviewer. Hmm. Every comps is like, so example, this week, mm-hmm. no reviewer got Deathstroke, no reviewer got Lex Luthor, no reviewer got The Rogues. Wow. Uh, two weeks ago, no reviewer got Creeper or. Shit, there's another one that didn't, people didn't get. I can't think what it was. Hmm. It's really weird. It's, it's really strange that they just like. I don't know if like it's one of those they themselves were shorted or they don't want people to review them or or what the fuck because right. I mean it can't it can be they don't want people to review them because Jeff if you've seen some of the absolute absolutely terrible things that they have been sending people to review I believe you'd, it you'd think okay so there's there's obviously no like quality <laughs> statement here at all they're now, just like sure whatever are, are you getting the are, are they and this is like the dumbest question to ask and really it's absurd that I'm at all curious but 2D or 3D covers 2D so it's all the 2D stuff it's all the 2D that's kind of what I figured since everybody was shorted so much but I just want to yeah, check because I was curious part, part of me was really curious I was like are they going to send like one 3D Right, you, you know, would think. Just to be like this. This is what a three D cover looks like. But uh, and again, I've not been to the store in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they are so heavy that it, it's just like ridiculous. Like they would not do that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I picked up and did not read until today. Um, Dark side. Oh, is is that the three D? It is the three D cover. I was kind of like, oh, you know, Omega beams. Um, and then this thing, which I apparently signed up for, uh, again, the 3d cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you wish, do you wish you'd had the 2d? I'm, I'm curious. You know, uh, it's a dollar cheaper. Yeah. It's a dollar cheaper. Um, well, I'll be honest. The dark side one, I picked up, uh, Hibs had a certain number of these. Like, I think this was like a week one book, but he still yeah. had 3D co- copies in week two. And I was kind of like, eh, I, I admit it, I totally wanted one with the cover gimmick. And I was willing yeah. to pay a little bit more for it. The Reverse Flash was one that I signed up for. I don't know why. Um, Were you still reading Flash at that point? Because it's like part of that storyline. Yes, exactly. And I think that's why. I've, I've actually jumped off of Flash. In fact... I think I may not be reading any new 52 books except for Batman, which I may be jumping off of soon. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's. I'm, I'm sticking on Flash. I was thinking about jumping off as well, but the fact that they're ending their run at 25 and they're at 23 right now, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to get the last two issues because really, wh- why not? Like, 
that why would I not get the last two issues of the run? Wait, so that's what they're doing? They're just going to end the book rather than um... No, 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 no. Uh, Manipal and, and oh, I see. Switchlight are leaving. At yes, 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 exactly. You know, and I probably should stick around for that, but I don't think I did. I think I jumped off. This is probably my last issue, which is Well, there you go. Mm. You'll, you'll get to end on a cliffhanger. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well done, me. Yeah, I mean, at least this one, I have to say, it sort of fit or organically into what they, you know, the story that they were telling. Yeah, yeah exa- exactly. As opposed to, uh, they also did Grodd. There, there's been a, mm-hmm. a Grodd issue mm-hmm. that, that did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should say, even though this fits into the current storyline, it honestly felt more like... Um, uh, you know, with some some fun layouts, it still felt like a huge fill-in issue because it was very much like, you know, I'm the reverse Flash. Here's my, you know, how you weave me into the the tapestry, and I've clearly been here all along, or almost all along. And uh, but then it was just kind of like, okay, by the time you get to the end of it, it's like, okay, time to get things rolling. And I'm like, dudes, really for four dollars? Like so, uh, but still, like, what did you think of the dark side issue? Oh man, well, okay, so I flipped through it, and one of the things that I kind of liked, and this was really dumb in a way, is I was like, oh, you know, I really like how it clearly deviated from the established Kirby mythos, you know, yes. like, yeah. and and there was something that was kind of strangely appealing about it, you know, I. I I was talking with Hibbs about it last week, and one of the things that he said about Villains Month that I thought rang really true is that the books really try very hard to put the new 52 spin on things, Um, much more so than some of the new 52 first issue books. You know what I mean? So in some some cases... um, in some ways, part of what excited me about the idea of picking up the Dark Side book was the idea that is like, oh, they're actually trying to break out, you know, try, trying to do something different, and hopefully with a better idea of what they're trying to do. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the case with Dark Side, and I thought the art was okay. It was just very, you know, I'm very torn about Greg Pak, like. He somehow manages to be, like, he really has a good grasp of high concept, but sometimes I feel like his execution is, like, kind of lo-fi, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I found it kind of underwhelming, you know? Um, And without it being derivative of Kirby, it actually somehow still managed... Like, maybe that's... Maybe Greg Pak is, like, an insane genius, and his whole thing is, is like, okay, since the old Kirby New Gods took place after the end of Kirby's Thor, I'm going to craft a first issue, an origin issue of Darkseid that feels like it was ripped off from Jason Aaron's Thor? Like, I don't... I don't know. Like, that's... <laughs> Kind of about as generous as I could get. That's I mean, kind of spectacular. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I have to tell you, like, I think your idea of they're coming at it and they're trying to make it new Fifty Two, but now they have a better idea of what they're doing, does not hold up if you read all of the books. I I do believe that. Um, they really don't know where they're what they're doing if you read a lot of the books. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of 
I, I mean, even the dark side one, as far as I am aware, and I'm not paying the closest attention, doesn't the dark side one actively contradict the mythology they set up for dark side in other books since Justice League came out? I, it wouldn't surprise that, doesn't, me. Doesn't Justice League end up with him being like, I'm looking for my daughter? <laughs> and then it. in Darkseid yeah, I, it may do it definitely Vibe sets up the fact that Darkseid is looking for his daughter and that's why he came to Earth right and then like there's no mention of that in the Darkseid thing it's like and then he found out he could go between planets and he did and then he found the Justice League and he got his ass kicked the end and I was like but where's the daughter what this is the mythology you've been trying to seed yeah I well that is true no 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 I, I and having not followed most of the other stuff at all I mean even the Wonder Woman stuff I only halfway checked out I mean I really get the sense that it doesn't it probably doesn't mesh. It's just more like in the sense of, how do I put it? Like, here's a new spin on Darkseid. I was like, okay, this is kind of a new spin on Darkseid. I sort of like the idea that they... Congratulations, you have spun Darkseid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Achievement <laughs> unlocked. Yeah, I I just, I mean, it wasn't, a, I'm not sure it was a great, it, it probably was not consistent with the other new 52 books. I hadn't been reading them, but in the sense of, oh, okay, um, how do I put it? By putting Darkseid in sort of a former trickster god role, kind of, it's yeah. it's a little bit closer to, to, I guess, some of the spin that Kirby was trying to bring to the character with, without following it, you know, and then yeah, putting yeah, his no, conflict yeah. in with Isaiah and all that. Kind of liked it, you know, but but by the same token, I was also incredibly underwhelmed. So uh, I have to tell you, after reading at this point, I mean, I'm going to say it's let's say I've read 35 of the books with all the ones they have. Wow, read. good job. Okay, um, there are two that I could not bring myself to finish. <laughs> not not because they were like appalling. I remember seeing Steve Morris at the beat be like, you know, the Desad issue is terrible. It's offensive. I couldn't finish it. It's so offensive. No, not for those reasons whatsoever. Hmm. But because there's two issues that just terribly dull. Really? Um, the Court of Owls issue. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, I could fall asleep. I could have fallen asleep during it. And the Hell issue of Superman, or I guess because it's H apostrophe E-L, so I guess it would yeah. be L. <laughs> or something I don't know uh, it's, it's terrible really horribly 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 dull right um, the other like there have been like a couple of good ones but mm-hmm. the majority of them are you're like huh that was 20 pages of filler mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good ones are the this week's Wonder Woman is Cheetah is John Estranda doing Cheetah uh-huh. and it's great Oh really? And I'm I'm completely biased for two reasons: one, John Ostrander, mm-hmm. and two, the protagonist of the issue is Mark Shaw, aka Manhunter, aka the Kirby Manhunter. Wow! Who he brings back as uh, a U.S. Marshal. Hmm. So I totally want to see that character again. Like that's a favorite character for my, you know, John Strander is just completely solid, and so he does this completely solid done in one that is is completely enjoyable. The other one that I was surprised that I like so much, the Lobo issue, the really? controversial. Everyone's like, "Holy shit! They made Lobo gay or something? He's skinny. What the fuck?" <laughs> um, it's like when you read it, you honestly have the sense of, 
wow, everyone completely overreacted. This is just a well-written Lobo comic. Hmm. Like, it's just Lobo. That's it. Really? <laughs> they couldn't the character redesign and it ends up with him being like, I'm coming to get this pretender who is the new 52 version of the character looks like the old one. Uh-huh. But in terms of dialogue and in terms of his actions, it's a Lobo comic. It's <laughs> a Lobo comic that doesn't like go waka waka waka. So it's a Lobo comic that's just like, yeah, this guy's a dick. This guy's a violent sociopathic dick. Hmm. I, I was really kind of surprised by how much I liked it. That's, uh, uh, but that's yeah. good to know. And that's by... Um, Marguerite Bennett. Thank you. And Ben Oliver. Ah, and Ben Oliver doing the art? Doing the art. Okay. Uh, and he is assisted by Cliff Richards, uh, a name we in Britain always find amusing. Uh, I do too. <laughs> yeah, and Cliff Richards, I couldn't even tell you what he drew hmm. because it all looks like Ben Oliver. So I'm guessing Cliff Richards is a great uh, mimic because, hmm. yeah, I, can't, I couldn't tell you what pages he drew. Interesting. Because uh, Cliff Richards also does, God, something that came out this week, and I can't even remember what it was. And it, his art looks totally different, 100% different. Huh. Uh, let's see, what else? what else have I liked? Not that much. Oh, another one that's terrible is the Eclipso issue. Oh, Dan God. Dan and Philip Tan. I almost, I have to say, I picked that one up, flipped through, and almost bought it. Because I thought the art, I was like, oh, this art's really kind of interesting and weird. You know who who did this and and basically flipped to the credits page and like dropped it like it was burning. You know, um, Neil Philip Dunn. What? <laughs> you should pick up the um, the Phantom Stranger collection then, because they that's the creative team for the first six issues of Phantom Stranger. No, Graham, you don't understand. No, 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 no. You should. <laughs> you should pick up this book. It's an interesting book, and I'd like to point out, even though you can see me, I in my mind was making ear quotes. It's, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looked pretty interesting. I don't, I don't really trust to deal. I don't trust to deal with full-length comics really too much, unless I don't know. I guess Do unless he's doing with them shorts? with Keith Giffen. What's that? Do you trust him with shorts? Well, actually, after that bat cow strip, no, maybe, maybe I don't. I don't know. I, I'm, I. Let's just say I looked. Philip Tan's work was kind of. It was kind of lovely, though. I mean, was no, it Philip Tan? Philip Tan's stuff in Phantom Stranger is amazingly good. And at the time, I was like, maybe it's because he's getting inked by Brent Anderson. No, wait. No, it was Brent Anderson who was drawing Philip Tan was inking. That's oh, what's oh, interesting, interesting. Never mind. I'm completely wrong. I got the, the creative team the other Backwards. way Backwards. I see. I yeah. see. So, but Philip Tan as artist. So, that one was terrible in the sense of also dull, also underwhelming, or more yeah, just, just, it's just one a terrible of those- idea? Just a terrible, a terrible spin on the idea, basically. And, mm-hmm. and just... It's not even a terrible spin on the idea really bad execution mm, mm-hmm. you know like you've got things like the Harley Quinn comic which I thought was perfectly f- fine right. for the character I'm not a fan of the character but like I was like this is a fine Harley Quinn comic and I think that's my problem with so many of them I don't really like the characters mm-hmm. so the best I'm like is like well you know I'm sure if you like you know Ventriloquist that's a great Ventriloquist comic I you know I'm so glad that Cyborg Superman has a comic that he you know he's been thinking of for so long I, I don't like I don't have any real connection to many of these characters. I looking through the list that I just saw, um the Riddler comic was really good as well, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, I forget. Is that yeah. was that the one that was actually the Snyder book or uh, Snyder is co plotting with I wanna say it's Ray Fox. I'm trying to find it again. Uh, I wanna say it's Ray Fox who actually does the the writing on it. Hmm. Um but it's let's see. 
It is trying to find a creative team in the comic because they hide this pretty well. You know, I it is Where one of those are things. The creative teams in this comic. When I was at the store these last few weeks, is looking at the DC books and not having cover like the talent listed on the cover. It really, really throws you off, right? Yeah, it really does for browsing. I'm just kind of like, it's interesting because it makes it blind. So maybe I'm more likely, weirdly enough, to pick up the book to flip through it, you know, as opposed to be like just looking at the cover and being like, oh, I don't like those guys. But yeah, Uh, Riddler is Scott Snyder and Ray Fox co-plot. Ray Fox does the script and Jeremy Hahn does the art. I see. I see. And it's, it's, it's really good. I, but again, uh, I really like Riddler. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now, isn't that one? Was that supposed to be a zero-year yeah, tie-in? Uh, that wasn't. But like you know, the Bizarro. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Wasn't the Riddler book supposed to be like tie, like a zero-year tie-in that, in fact, doesn't really it tie in at all? Isn't it? Isn't. I mm-hmm. mean, it it it's a, like a retroactive tie-in. You get a reference to something that is obviously going to happen in zero hour. I see. Or zero. You get a, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen you in years reference, you know? <laughs> right, okay. Uh, so you can sort of, you know, retroactively be like, oh, I guess that's going to be a thing. But it was, it's not... I, I think you can read Zero Year just fine without it. Well, yes. And I think Hibbs was actually a little bothered because there was it, it was a bit of a bait-and-switch marketing-wise in that regard, yeah? Yeah, but... Pardon. But you're like, yeah, but come on. If you if you well, fall no, no, for the no. zero-year marketing thing, you get what well, you that's, deserve. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, ever since DC has been like, everything's tied into zero-year. <laughs> like, have you honestly not just been thinking Red Sky crossover, everything's tying into zero-year? Right. I mean, really, you can tell from what Snyder and, and Capullo are doing in zero-year itself. You know, it's not going to tie into zero-year. It might take place in the same time frame, but there's no fucking way it's going to tie into zero-year. Right, right. I I felt the same way, but it was interesting because I was like, I, you know, apparently this is all this episode is going to be on my end is like my dinner with Andre, except it's... My dinner with Ibs. Exactly. <laughs> and so he was... He, I was like, well, isn't this just a Red Skies thing? He's like, no, this is worse. And I'm like, why? Because he's always been like, ah, the Red Skies, you know. He's And his thing was is that Zero Year is a story, not an event. And he's like, when you've got an event and you've got event tie-ins, then it then people know what they're getting. But if you oh, like oh, have oh, a story, and I'm like, wow, that's I a mighty fine hair yeah, to I split. Yeah. so much. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think as soon as you, I think, sure, zero year is a story, but I think as soon as DC's like, and here are the nine comics that are tying in with it, it's a fucking event. Right. Right. If there's more comics tying in with it than there are chapters of the actual story, it's a fucking event. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially when they're like, you know, Green Lantern Corps is tying in. And right. you're like, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, John Stewart went to Gotham City. That's the fucking plot of it, John. Seriously. <laughs> That is the best. John Stewart went to Gotham City five years ago. That's the fucking plot. Oh, man. That's awesome. Like, Aquaman got burned by someone on Craigslist. uh, Somebody from Gotham City who never showed up to pick up his waterbed. You know, I mean, that's... Totally is. Uh, You know, it's just, yeah. I I think the idea of, like, this is worse than Red Skies. No. Right. I, I, not at all. It's exactly the same, which in itself is a problem. 
Yes. I think the companies have been much better staying away from like a Red Skies type crossover before now. Right. Although I said, I think DC's been creeping really fucking close to it with all their Batman crossovers. Yeah. I think Death and Family and Court of Owls were pretty much Red Sky in that you could read both of those core Batman stories just fine. Yeah, I think so. And in some cases, like in Death and the Family, arguably better without the crossovers. Well, I, I have to admit that, that, come to think of it, Batman has had two separate crossover events that I have ignored all the other outside issues of, and it, it hasn't seemed to hurt me more. I mean, yeah. Death of the Family was fascinating in that that felt like... I mean, I would love to go back and reread it collected or even sit down and reread the issues but that was such a a wet fart of an of a story yes. in and yes. of itself yeah. that i was like okay surely i must have missed something in the other issues no, 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 you didn't. and no. that's it fortunately i had these conversations with you to know they just really screwed the pooch on that but that's so. just that, like not only did you not miss anything in the issues that tied in like some of the stories didn't tie in Right. Some of the stories were like, and he's thinking about the Joker. Finally, <laughs> <Family> crossover. <laughs> the Joker never picked up the waterbed that he'd ordered on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Well. Five years ago, in Gotham, that's the family crossover and serial crossover. You guys together. That would be. And then great. I said it was thrown of Atlantis because the Aquaman then sold the waterbed to Aku, who then fucking over like drowns Gotham. There's <laughs> Cataclysm crossover as well, you guys. This is like the most important comic to DC continuity ever. The thing that's terrifying is how close we're coming to what sounds like a Jeff Loeb comic. You know what I mean? Like waterbed <laughs> and all. Like there really is. Oh like... man, I, I so I reread Forever Evil after we were um shall we say not incredibly fond about it last time. Yes. And then I then I made a terrible mistake, Jeff. A terrible mistake. Because DC sent me the deluxe edition of JLA Earth 2. Ooh. The Grant Morrison Frank Whiteley thing. Right. Which I will as a public service to everyone, guys, if you own the original hardcover of JLAR two and you're thinking, is it worth buying the deluxe edition? Ask yourself this. Would I like it to be slightly bigger in dimensions? Would I like it to have all the thumbnails from Frank Whiteley in the back? And would I like it to be on thinner paper? If Ooh. the answer is yes, then you then you want to get that hardcover. If the answer is no, then really you can skip it. You can happily skip it. It wow. is staggering. I mean, it's the same fucking cover art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's staggering how kind of half-assed the deluxe edition of JLR Two is. Right. Anyway, so I read that, and then I read because I decided to go for the trifecta, the original first appearance of the Crime Syndicate. Oh, in Justice League of America. In Justice. Just League of America, like, mm-hmm. issue, I don't know, 30-something, probably. Right. Um, yeah. Forever Evil. That 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 does not come off well when you read those two things. You're like, oh, that's right. Je- uh, Jeff Joss is bringing absolutely nothing to the table. Hooray! Yeah. Hooray! Can't wait um, for the next yeah, issue. It's, it's kind of amazing. Because normally you think Jeff Jones does bring stuff to the table, mm-hmm. even if it's, like, some weird, like, continuity thing. Yeah. For every evil, he really staggeringly doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least Although, the first issue. I mean, but when I'm not going to stick around for the others. Yes? When we talked about the uh, the end of the first issue, and I was like, I hope someone remembers that if you move the moon, it's going to cause flooding. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Plot point, that's actually followed up in the Black Manta issue. Oh, hey! Like, really, really, really genuinely. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a plot point. Who knew? 
<laughs> Seagram. It was great because I read that just after we talked, and I was like, oh, <laughs> they retroactively had an answer for me. I just didn't know it yet. <laughs> well, there you have it. Um, <coughs> we should... Know that... yes? Sorry, I was going to say, you'll have to know that the... Because you're never going to read the Black Man's issue. Never. That, um, that what it does is a particularly Jeff Johnsian moment of motivation. Okay? Okay. Ultraman moves the moon, which causes tidal waves, which, get this, Black Manta, just before this, has gone to his father's grave... Because now that Aquaman's dead, he's like, what will I do with my life? The tidal wave causes the corpse of Black Manta's father to be washed up into Black Manta's face. <laughs> and then he's like, that's it. I'm going to kick the asses of the crime syndicate. That's honestly what happens. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's great. That is great. What? <laughs> You're like, what? How? How? What? Who? Huh? Okay, here's one of the things. I've not followed Aquaman arguably ever. Um, but you'll change that now that Jeff Parker's coming on board, right? Because seriously, Jeff Parker and Aquaman makes me so ridiculously happy. Well, I I guess I've got my fingers crossed, maybe, sort of. Like, I do like Parker, but... It, so here's the thing. He will... No, I, I mean, I remember when Rick Veach was doing Aquaman. I'm like, oh, I'm going to give that a try. I remember when Kurt Busiek was doing Aquaman. I'm like, I'm going to give that a try. And I just... You're, you're saying Aquaman defeats everyone, aren't you? He really does. <laughs> Aquaman's weird inherent boredom actually somehow, like, destroys writers, is what you're saying. Yeah, it just... They just kind of go off. I mean, I'm sure, like, in another 15, 20 years, I'll be reading this stuff going like, oh my god, this is hilarious. They had no idea what to do. Sub Diego, you know, but right now... Come on, Sub Diego! <laughs> that was great. That's still funny. See? I knew you would go for this. But, okay, so my point is, like, Black Manta, what does he do apart from look cool and sound like a car stereo? You know, that's all I know from Challenge of the Super Friends. Still nothing? That's it, Jeff. He's motivated because apparently Aquaman's responsible for the death of his dad. I mean, he's clearly not. It's fucking Aquaman. Right. But, um, like, he blames Aquaman for the death of his dad. And so he's like, I will kill you or your dad to lead as applicable Aquaman. Uh... (laughs) And then Aquaman, like, is, is you know, quote-unquote dead uh, in Forever Evil. And he's like, oh, what do I do with my life now? I guess I'm going to become a good guy. I mean, that that's it. That's totally... Okay, so Aquaman. motivation is fine. See, this is the thing. Everyone's always got a weird motivation for him. Like, at one point, he was, like, some sort of autistic guy. And I was like, what? Autistic oh God, black really? guy, right? Wasn't that's, that a thing? That's awesome and not offensive at all. No, not at all. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. he's, he's somebody with a disease and a minority. Clearly a villain. You know, like, that's just... I, I, I'm imagining Mark Miller's response to that. He'd be like, you're offensive for saying that autistic people can't be black. <laughs> that, would, that would totally be his response. I've met, my best friend is black and autistic, okay? You're the one. You're the racist. You. <laughs> exactly. That, you, know, you know that's what Mark Miller would say. <laughs> So my, but no. So the motivations, sh- motivations. I still kind of have this thing of like, like you, you know, you still just don't get black man. What all. does he do? Like, what or, does he do? Does I, he swim? Any, he must swim, I don't get right? Any of the. I don't get any of the Aquaman villains. Like, for me, Black Manta is interchangeable with Ocean Master. I have no idea. They both wear helmets, and they have, like, spears or something. That's all I can tell. Right, exactly. Fuck, really. Fuck yeah. knows. Fuck knows. Okay. Uh, I can tell you, because I've 
uh, DC sent me the first two collections of the new 52 series, the uh, Jeff John series. Right. Like, Jeff Johns basically is just ignoring all the bad guys at all, and he's like, I've created new bad guys, and they're like, it, he basically comes out with Pacific Rim before Pacific Rim. Mm. He's like, there's this thing in the ocean, and monsters are coming out of it. Right. And, like, they're attacking, and I will beat them back. And then he's like, and the Antlean, Atlantis? Atlanteans? Atlanteans? Sure. Mm-hmm. He's like, the Atlanteans are dicks. <laughs> and that that's, like, the essential joke. Like, he's pretty much ignored Ocean Master and Black Manta and all, all those characters up until now. Okay. Okay. Which might be why it's selling well. Might like, be. Maybe that's the thing. Like maybe you can't really go back to, you know, the traditional Aquaman villains because the traditional Aquaman villains are kind of shitty. Well they're kind of shitty, but like again, it's just sort of I think it's interesting that he brought back Black Manta and was like, okay, but I'm not going to define him this time either. Good luck everybody. I'm out of here in two months, you know? And oh, no, I, but he's, 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 Black Mance is the big character in Forever Evil. He's one of the, the leads in Forever Evil. Okay, well, that's what I'm saying, is, is like, Johns must have used him before and therefore tried to establish what he can do? Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Me? I, I, I don't know. I don't think, and I could be completely forgetting an appearance, because that's how memorable Black Mance is. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's appeared, he's de- I don't think he's appeared in, the, like, the first like 15 issues of the of Jones' series. Maybe wow. he appeared after that, I don't know. Okay, okay. He, he showed up in uh, Brightest Day a lot. Right, uh, right, which was pre, pre of course, this pre... Billy Flashpoint, yeah. 52, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, it's tough, because earlier when you were talking about events and Red Skies, I was going to ask you about Infinity... Uh, but but where were we next? We we're not doing Marvel books for a month. No 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 no. I thought oh was that it? I thought I, no 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 no. What it is is I'm not reading Marvel books for okay. a month. But okay. you can talk about them. I'm just not gonna. I'm just okay, not well, gonna. I, did, I'll did be ignorant. My, did you see my Twitter epiphany on Infinity? Uh, was that the one where you talked about Frank Herbert's Dune? Yeah, but we're basically. Uh, I listened to the This Week in Marvel podcast uh, where Ben Morris, who does the podcast, was talking to. Tom Brever about it. Uh-huh. And Tom Brever is basically like, you know, here's me doing my sales pitch for, for Infinity. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. And halfway through, I was like, I should reread the... Because I'd, I'd bought the first two issues, and I'd bought the tie-ins. The right. Tie-ins. And I was like, I should reread it, because I honestly feel like he's talking about stuff that I don't even remember happening in the book. Okay. I, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to reread these, like, four, five chapters, like, in a oneer, uh-huh. And I'm going to see if it's any better. And I came away being like, this is great! Really? The trick is this: don't think of it as a superhero book, and don't read them in individual issues. Uh, then you're fine. If you read them in individual issues, you'll you know you're lost. If you read them all in a oneer, mm-hmm. they are much better. And if you forget that it's an Avenger story, mm. mm-hmm. it's, it's really a thing. Like really, it, I was like that. You know, as like a an over the top space epic. Sure, totally on board. Still has a lot of problems. A mm-hmm. lot of problems. Right. Uh, I mean, Hickman cannot for the life of him that's not true Hickman either cannot or has no interest in introducing characters mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you if you jumped on Infinity and you hadn't read Avengers you were fucking lost as to who half of these characters are right just he doesn't even attempt it hmm. um, he's very also very bad at explaining concepts he m- much prefers uh, hinting at them mm-hmm Mm-hmm. It's like instead of coming out and being like Captain Universe is blah blah blah, he'll be like Captain Universe, hmm, like the universe, like vast, hmm, big. Here's here's a here's a graphic. 
and you're like, uh, okay, I guess that's Captain Universe. I'll I'll just wing it. So you know, there's a lot of reader participation that is demanded by Infinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's. I really hope when they do the collection, they take advantage of his like, here's my white page with a chapter title, and cut the issues up to shit to make it go chronologically, hmm. because otherwise you as a reader will get totally fucking lost. Really? Um, yeah, because things happen in like Infinity Issue Two that happen after what happens in the New Avengers issue, which comes out afterwards, mm-hmm. and requires that as setup. If that makes sense. Ooh. Uh huh. Um, and you're kind of like, so for example, like the New Avengers issues features the invasion of Earth, mm-hmm. and that comes out before Infinity Issue Two, and Infinity Issue Two has the Earth being invaded. So you're like, wait, but that's like is it being invaded again or is this happening first like so I think the, I genuinely think when they do the collection they're, they're going to have to do more than just slap it all into a book right but I also think Hickman has provided by giving the like the white chapter and by breaking things up into chapters that way mm-hmm. he's given them an in to do that he's given them a way to do that oh, in a reasonable fashion uh, and I don't know if that's their plan or not but mm-hmm. I really hope they take advantage of the fact that that option is there because of it right um, but yeah, I, I was really, really pleasantly surprised on the reread. I was like, "Huh, this will make a really good collection." As an, as a as like single issue thing, it's still flawed to shit. Right. But like the craft is there, and the quality is there. It's just that this is not the format for it. It should it like the serialization is really half the trouble. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it is kind of fascinating in a way. That to hear you say like, oh yeah, this is actually pretty good, as long as you but don't. But it's also terrible. Right, exactly. For for like an Avengers cosmic event, um, the trick is to ignore the fact that the Avengers are in it, uh, and kind of that it's an event, I guess. You know, and just have yeah, to try yeah. and read it all as a. Although it has to be said, as an event, it has. Shall we say responsible? It it is um, definitely a large part in launching Mighty Avengers by Al Ewing. Mm-hmm. Which is just great. We weren't here last week, so we couldn't say this. But yeah, Mighty Avengers Battle Ewing issue one. Jeff, you're on your boycott. You you you're in timeout. You will not even read this. It's great though. Mm-hmm. It's um, what is kind of surprising is how traditional it is. If that makes sense, like in a weird way, it reads like something Roger Stern might have written. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't. AD. Having read those issues of Avengers Assemble, that actually does not surprise me. Like, I yeah. kind of had that feeling of, um, like, given given the shot at it, Ewing actually was clearly really eager to figure out how to, like, he had theories about where the sweet spot was between um, acknowledging previous continuity and then also moving a story forward and doing its own thing with it, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was kind of part of why I... I was hopeful about the book. I mean, whatever that means, you know, because it was no, that kind I, of and I, and I know, I think a lot of people are going to do the, it's Greg Land, therefore it is Satan, I will stay away. Right. Um, I totally get the Greg Land dislike, but I have to say, I, I don't really agree with it. Like, Greg Land does a perfectly serviceable job. In this issue, um, or do you mean generally? In this issue. Okay. In this issue. Okay. Uh, in large part because my biggest problem with Greg Land is that he... It's his woman, mm-hmm. and there's really only Monica Rambeau in the issue, who's who's female. Like mm-hmm. uh, the rest, of the other characters. Well, there's White Tiger, who's there, you know, very little. Uh, but the, uh, otherwise, I think he 
doesn't get hung up on his, you know, here's a woman inappropriately smiling or having an orgasm. Right. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, I always, every time I see, and this started with when he was doing Iron Man, I keep seeing Greg Land's art and thinking, I wish someone else inked you and I wish someone else colored you. Right. right. Because I can't shake the feeling that, like, there's great stuff in your pencils. Mm-hmm. Cannot shake the feeling that, you know, get someone really unexpected. Get, like, Klaus Janssen or someone to ink his pencils once mm-hmm. and see what his art looks like, you know? Get yeah. Matt Hollingsworth to color it. I'm really curious what would happen. I can, I can almost see that. Uh, it's interesting. You know, it's funny. I wouldn't necessarily put Jansen on there just because I under I understand why you would think that way because Jansen's like, okay, take the scratchy pencils to sort of remove yeah, that I, polish I, I, off I, there. I just want someone to be slightly grittier because the problem with land is whoever inks them, and it seems to be everyone who inks them, makes the stuff look really plastic and synthetic. Right. I'd like to see something grittier, yeah. Yeah, and so that's kind of my thing is it's not so much gritty because I think that part of the problem with land tends to fall on and, and it's been a while since I've looked at his work, so I could be wrong, but it's kind of, um, the line weight is so monochromatic. So that's part of what, so it's like, I would almost rather put on an inker there who's not afraid to like put some blacks on it and, you know, and really, and really try and change up the dimensionality. And I think that Jansen, as much as I love his work, also tends to have kind of a, a flattening of his line work. You know yeah. what I mean? So. I, I just, but wouldn't be like if if I ruled the world, Jeff, I just give like random people Greg Land pencils and see what they could do with them. Because mm. I'm sure, I, well, I'm sure it'd be interesting if nothing else. But I really think there's more to Greg Land than is immediately obvious because I don't think he's well served by his colorists or his inkers. Well, this is what you said. Actually, one of the things that I thought was interesting is the idea is that the um, the White Tiger is actually <laughs> it's almost as if they knew that they were going to get Grey Gland. There's enough characters in Mighty Avengers who where their faces are fully covered by a mask that you yeah. don't... that he has less... Um, he's less tempted to be moved into porn face. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, that that was kind of my thinking was like, oh, because I think I saw one or two of the sample pages and I was like, you know, they seem to move, but also I think they were the ones with White Tiger on them. And so I was like, oh, and there's there's not that super distracting, you know, um, uncanny porn valley. I don't know. There's got to yeah. be a... Oh, but, but what's, what's really interesting was reading the issue, there's a scene where Luke Cage and the new Power Man are in a diner just talking. Uh-huh. And it was... There's like a page during that that I was like, yeah, Greg Land could be really good. Mm. Greg Land could be great. And I don't know what it was about that page, but there's something about the way he drew Luke Cage hmm. that I was like, yeah, there's some, there really is something here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, the other thing is, of course, that's never going to happen. Right. Greg Land has his audience. Greg right. Land has a very like large audience. Greg Land has a very successful career. Yes. Why yes. would he? Why would he ever make that massive change? Sure. You sure. know, uh, it just I, I I find myself wishing like you know he woke up one morning and had a terrible panic attack and was like, I'm going to change everything, you know, just to see. It would be great. Like, suddenly, and it would be awesome if he was also inspired by the same, like, uh, Munoz and Sampoyo work that Keith Giffen was inspired by. Oh and God, so he switches so to exactly the same, like, nine-panel storytelling, heavy super inks and all that. It would just, like, all over again. That would just be great. Like, you know that... Um, 
uh, that that Hungarian suicide song, you know, that people supposedly hear and it causes them to commit suicide. Like that's no? what Munoz and Sempoyo are. Like they're like the comic oh book that lures comic book artists to their doom. Like like I gotta draw like this. Um, you don't know about the Hungarian thing? You know, oh. Lauren Davis over at I and I did a great thing about it. It is apparently this like Hungarian like song that I think that Billy Holiday even ended up covering, and it's notorious for the idea that supposedly when it's popular, it sets off uh, suicide plagues. Basically, holy shit! Yeah, it's um, and you know, there's a Journal of Science that I'm sure you know in the Ionine article like, talks no, about. What? Right, no. exactly. God help me. I'm like, I was like, huh. I will get to the end of this article one day. But it was such an awesome book. I'm like, I kind of prefer. I, I don't want it disproven. I'm just going to walk around like that's fact. Yeah, the, the science is all, what do you think this is? The fucking ring? Of course no one's going to be Well, I can't talk about I can't talk about Mighty Avengers, but I will say that the first issue of Mars Attacks Judge Dredd, also by Al Ewing uh, and John McRae, um, was great fun. Was great fun. I mean, it's... I, I'm not surprised. I mean... But you Al-Ewing. didn't pick it up. No, but I haven't been to the store. I keep telling you. Okay, so, Graham, you have to answer some questions. Are you getting Marvel comps, or did you buying them digitally? And if you're buying them digitally, why didn't you... It, was this not available digitally, or did you figure you'd I rather have the I hard think, copy? I think I'm going to want the hard copy. Okay. For some reason, like, like I'm digital only on uh, Marvel books. It's really weird. I'm digital only on Marvel books. Uh, and only Marvel books. Interesting. Why? Do you know why? Is it is no, it just that their product no is idea. so? I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't know. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's totally that's totally cool, but fascinating. Anyway, uh, since I'm the only one who read it, Mars Attacks Judge Dredd, the first issue, the only one who's read it yet. I have to say, um, is great because it is very much. It's it's Al Ewing doing Judge Dredd, so like one of the things that's great is it starts off with like he he works in the bubblegum cards in there as like you know to advance the storytelling, um, you know in, in fact when he has the first ish, the the first scene is the mega mafia meeting the the four dons is it the four dons who actually come up I guess it's five of them. Um, you know, is like he's got like Don Schnazzoli, Don Mumbletti, uh, Don Travolta, and which is great because everyone's got their own various goofy things, and you know, because it's like Don Schnazzoli's making nose jokes and Mumbletti's like mumbling like the Godfather. So when it comes to Don Travolta, he's like, uh, you won't be staying alive after I, uh, and it's like, don't overwork it. So, and of course there's, there's the Don Hoverbot 9000. So there's actually a vacuum cleaner is one of the members of the mega mafia. Um, it's just really good, goofy, like, uh, of course he works in a, um, there's a, a chanteuse who's like singing a like very popular, like, song about Judge Dredd and so there's so many embedded like Judge Dredd like references in just I, this yeah, little throwaway guess, song yeah. you know just really fun 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 stuff um yeah. doing just like just has the he, he, what's interesting is, is and this is something that um has been fascinating to me while reading magazine is you know, with magazine, they have the opportunity to tell longer Judge Dredd stories. 
Um, and, and sometimes what I'm what bums me out is how frequently those longer stories just sort of like are the writers kind of going, whew, okay, well, in that case, I don't really have to work as hard. Here's more of a traditional story, like, you know, that we can just tell, we can just cover the ground, and maybe there's some more gunfights and things. One of the things I like about Ewing is, like, just because you give him... 20 pages instead of five that doesn't mean that he's you know he pretty much continues to try and jam in the inventiveness in it yeah. you know yeah so i quite like mars attacks v judge dread um that was that was uh out of the the handful of books that i picked up last week i would have to say that was probably my favorite even though there were some really really good issues out there Last week was an amazing week for comics. I mean, holy fucking shit. Yeah. There was there was that. There was King's Watch, which yes. I really, really liked. There was Milligan and McCarthy, which I just got in the mail today. And yes. I swear to God, it's like I it's calling to me like a terrible thing. Uh, and digitally, and I don't know if anyone saw this apart from me, John Allison, who does Scary Go Round mm-hmm. uh, and Bad Machinery, released something called Murder She Writes. Which is a compilation of Scaregrounds comics, and wow. it, it's like it's a murder mystery, and it was fucking amazing. Wow. I mean, it was really, really great. It's on a Comicsology. I want to say it's like one ninety nine for like thirty five pages. Wow. Um, it's great. It's it's. Uh, I don't know if you've read Bad Machinery or Scary Go Round or anything like that. It's it's a web comic that's. It's a very acquired taste. It's one of those things that I read it and I was like, this is perfect. Like this is so great. Mm-hmm. It's so open it's so inviting to you know anyone the humor is right there the art is beautiful and then like i gave it to kate kate was like yeah i don't really get it like it's one of those things like for me i was like ever like why would anyone not like this and kate was like yeah i just i just don't get it Hmm. um so i i'm sort of like i'm i always kind of want to be like no you don't get it like bad machinery and scarecrow rounds are really amazing but i always sort of pull myself back from that because i know that it's one of the things that you either get or you don't Hmm. um yeah, it's a murder mystery for people who like murder mysteries. It is genuinely a parody of Murder She Wrote, mm-hmm. uh, which you know is great because Kate is currently watching Murder She Wrote on Netflix, and so that the like the tropes are very fresh in my mind. Right. Um, yeah, it's just it's very fun, and it's like one ninety nine in Comicsology, and huh. with absolutely no fanfare whatsoever. It just appeared there. Hmm. Murder She uh, Writes. Yeah, I'll have to I, look for it. Yeah, I, I would recommend. Yeah, but last week was really fucking great. Yeah, it really and then was. this week, holy shit! Have you read this week's two thousand AD? No, it's been sitting there in my queue. That and magazine. I'm like, I felt yeah, both. Both are amazing this week. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, 2008 is great. So with the relaunch issue, I can't even remember. It's what 1850. Maybe? 1850. Yeah. Um, by which I mean is Prog 1850. Not that it's 18 dollars. <laughs> um, there's a dread story. The Brass Sun is back, Flesh is back, right? And there's a story called Damnation Station by yes. Al Ewing again, mm-hmm. uh, and Simon Davis that apparently ran some time ago, and I never read it. Like this is like the third series of it, mm-hmm. but um, just that first episode of Damnation Station, I was like, so this is the clearly the greatest thing ever. Wow! Yeah, I'm uh, dying to it read is, it. It is Al Ewing doing post-apocalyptic superhero science fiction end of the world stuff, hmm. but like literally post-apocalyptic not in the sense of like everyone is wearing blankets and going oh the sun there has been a nuclear war but in the sense of like something genuinely terrible has happened to the planet and it's what happens after that mm-hmm. but it's kind of weirdly upbeat hmm. in a strange way mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's not a comedy by any, like it's no, it's not Zombo, for example. Right. It, it, right. It's definitely a drama, but there's something about the tone, uh, and definitely about Ewing's idea of a, an impossibly media saturated future mm-hmm. that is feeding on its own myth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just that was just fascinating to me. Like there, it's like five pages long or something, and I was just like, oh, sold, one hundred percent, amazingly sold. And then the magazine's great. The magazine is regular Dread. The yes. sequel's the Dread movie. Right. But but screw all of those, Jeff. There's something called Ordinary that's starting in it, which mm-hmm. is Rob Williamson, uh, Disraeli's new creator own script. Yes. It's great. If you thought, and like I, I know you did because you and me were the same in this, if you thought Disraeli's art was great when he was doing... Uh, Stickleback. The, yeah, and the, the trifecta stories. Yes. Mm-hmm. Im- imagine Disraeli... Doing full color like that. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's, wow. It's, it looks amazing. It looks <laughs> so, so great. And the, the high concept of it is really, really cute as well. Huh. It's one of those things where you're like, huh, I hope this makes them horrifically famous. <laughs> um, also, I found out in my uh, behind the scenes interneting. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that the magazine has like the best creator owned deal in comics? No, I didn't know that. It has uh, full right retention by the creators mm-hmm. and full page rate. Really? Yeah. Huh. Which is like, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, that's kind of amazing. Huh. Wow, that is great. I mean, because it was interesting. I remember seeing that they had mentioned it. Because I think I read the wrap up of Wagner's Judge Dread piece in that, then read the the writer profile um, and then was like, okay, I'm going to put this aside and come back to it. But I did see that they mentioned in the editorial that, that the that the new strip was creator-owned. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's and kind of a, encouraging. They had Diggle and Jock's snapshot in there before it appeared from Image. Oh, really? Huh. They serialized snapshot in there for like six issues or something before mm-hmm. it came out through Image. Um, so I, I really, I have this weird thing where I hope that a lot of creators... I want to say take advantage, but that sounds terrible. But I, I follow the model. I hope that sure. uh, you know they they are able to, especially British creators, are able to essentially monetize the creation of a strip, mm-hmm. and then try and launch themselves in the US through essentially second run. Mm-hmm. But it's brand new material to America because no one really, here really reads magazine. Hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, two questions. One is. I think you mentioned four strips in the 2000 AD, and aren't there usually five? Do you remember what the fifth uh, one I was? I want to say, no, there are only four this issue. I want to say oh. Flesh is double size. Okay. Uh, and a new strip, I think Antigua starts uh, the following issue. Okay. There's only four strips this time, yeah. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. And then with the magazine, you know, it, it it's funny because, listeners, what you may not be uh, aware of uh, is, is that Graham and I have been swapping some emails um basically in a very indirect way talking about 2000 AD style storytelling and sort of the inspirations that one can draw from it consciously or unconsciously and do you think here's my thing is is like I feel and I could be wrong that 2000 AD style storytelling like or even the magazine where you get like a bigger chunk of things but it's still serialized Mm well how do I put it like I almost feel like maybe in a few years we'll be in a situation especially if image continues to um, 
expand the way that it does that the sort of the ideas that would basically be well received and published in something like magazine or 2000 AD are not necessarily the ideas that would sell in the American comics marketplace I mean I sort of feel that that was the case at least a couple of years ago I think that's still true Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the 2000 I mean you just look at what is run in 2000 AD recently and imagine any of those things what are you doing to yourself with that red light sorry I I turned on a red light and then I it's it's on my finger and then so it was kind of like I'm like oh look at this anyway keep talking Graham while I see more evil Yeah, Jeff really does seem evil. Also, it makes it look like your beard is on fire. Um, (laughs) No, but if you look at what has been in uh, 2018 in the last few weeks or the last few months, Mm -hmm. and then try and imagine any of those strips of standalone comics in the US market, they die a death. Yeah, that's kind of And not because they're bad. No. Like, 2018 has been on a creative high. It's been amazing. Mm -hmm. But the American market is just not receptive to that. I mean, here's the thing. King's Watch, which I really, really liked. I thought King's Watch was great. Mm-hmm. I thought it had a really tight script from Parker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one that, and I love Parker's work, but one that cut down on a lot of what I would say are Parker, Parker's Parkerisms. Yes. I think that he really cut down the humor a lot. I think he really tried to go you know, straight forward. I am setting up this world. I am setting up the thing. And just went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark Lehman's art in it is fucking amazing. Yeah. The fact that the fact that it sold out in its first day, not the biggest print run, but the fact that it sold out in its first day, I found incredibly heartening. But it was also so surprised by mm-hmm. because that's not the sort of comic that succeeds in America. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you you can you can be like, okay, if it's not a massive name, then it's going to be a massive property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that that's it. That's the, those are the comics that succeed. Or you have a Walking Dead, or you have something that has long enough to build up a mark an audience right right you know so but how many people can really afford to do that yeah you really have to be able to put in the patience and in the time uh and that really is kind of the challenge of what we'll see from image really because i feel like i feel like people are sort of moving toward more of a yeah we like this we want to see kind of like it may not necessarily have to be monthly but it does have to be recurring i guess you know what i mean like and i could be wrong on that there could be people You're, who are by doing this you mean enough. you mean when you say people you mean the readers or? yeah the readers i'm sorry is that the readers are sort of like you know um like walking dead grows or saga has definitely grown as a continuing um it seems like uh, the stuff that Brubaker and Phillips have been doing, where even if it's like a different miniseries, usually connects up to something previously yeah. that they've done. So, in other words, there's some momentum. I know that that's also something that um, that Hibbs, as retailer, has said he wanted to see more of that that the miniseries that the Image Comics miniseries that was sort of the more traditional standard where someone throws six issues out there and then tries to get it collected and then sell the collection is he's like, there's just not enough um, of an incentive for the retailer to hand sell that because there's nothing to really build. By the time you start to build the, the mar- market for it, it's gone, you know? See, here's the thing. I completely, be- I completely believe and understand that from Hibbs' perspective, but I also find that really sad to hear. Mm-hmm. Because that means that lots of good work, which is 
like has a start, middle and finish is not being promoted by the people who can promote it. Do you know what I mean? Like if it's really looked at as you know, this isn't an ongoing this is a mini mm-hmm. you know, it's going to get collected, but eh, you know, there's not I'm not gonna be able to get enough traction for this for sales momentum. I'm not going to bother. That's really sad. Is it just me who thinks that's really sad? Well, no, no, no. I mean, I think my problem is is that a a I think that if there's stuff that is of quality, certainly Hibs as retailer and hopefully other retailers will still you know sell it and hand sell it regardless. Um, but I think that he, what he was saying is is that unfortunately his experience is is that. Um, there's just too many titles in the marketplace. Like it's not even if you hand, even if the retailer hand sells it, like it doesn't really find that much traction. You know what I mean? There's just so much product out there. There's only so so much energy that I think retailers can um, expend. So on the one hand, it's sad, but you know the flip side of that might be arguably the less sad is. is part is is that the that the marketplace is so you know full full to bursting with product you know like which i honestly i'm not sure that i think is great but considering how many other media complain about the gate gatekeepers keeping people you know keeping product out of the hands you know the retailers are uh I, I would I want to say not necessarily the problem. You know what I mean? They're sort of hamstrung. And and honestly, I feel that Hib. I'm sure again, not only would Hib sell product that if he thought was superior and try and build an audience for it, but I do know that at least from talking to him and hearing some of his advice for new creators, his advice is don't just give don't just give us the miniseries and the graphic novel. Go all in and give us something that you know is ongoing that we can build on. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of fascinated by the way in which, um, you know, bi-monthly books were kind of sort of this weird aspect of the comics book marketplace back in the 70s, you know, and, and in the 80s that seems to have faded. And I'm wondering if it might not be closer to a new solution is like having something because we already have you know something like saga where there's like skip months or something like that before the next arc starts um and i think that in itself is like is really doing a book bi-monthly any more risky than that so i don't i don't know i i I, i'm always very curious about that because to me bi-monthly maybe because bi-monthly books still existed when i came into the the medium mm-hmm. like bi-monthly seems perfectly fine to me yeah to me too and in fact many of my favorite books going back and looking at them were actually published on a bi-monthly basis as well so and then, so one of the things I've noticed and this is like neither here nor there but it's just something that I've noticed and I've thought was weird mm-hmm. is that um, both Hawkeye and Guardians of the Galaxy took August off mm-hmm and I'm really curious whether that's going to impact their sales momentum. Right. Because if it didn't, then maybe that's making a case for bi-monthly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in this case, both took off because they ended up being late mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and I have no idea what the reason is. Right. Uh, but I'm curious as to whether the, that... 
because I it's possible that it won't. It's possible that every you know the audience will just be like, hey, that new issue's out. Because I feel that when you had in the two thousands, definitely when comics would just come out whenever they would fucking come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it impacted the sales somewhat. Right. But none of the none of the books were actually really being read. I guess. Well, you know, it would be it would be interesting to see if that were actually true. This is one of those times where it's like we should rope in a, a retailer, especially one with with a sense of history. But yeah, the market. If only we knew one. I know. <sighs> you know what we should do? What? You need to get like a little recorder, audio recorder. And then run out and ask Hibs this, and then you can insert it right here. <laughs> that would be great. No, I mean, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm like, uh, we did that one three-way conversation, and I'm like, someday, I'm sure we'll revisit that concept, but it still sort of makes me want to claw my eyes out. So it's, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Lots of idle speculation from me. Um, hey, speaking of monthly, bi-monthly books... Um, I have to talk about, and I know we've got plenty of time left, but this Graham McMillan, holy the shit! Society of Supervillains, which I saw you tweet about today, and you said something that I was just like Jeff Lester. You appreciated the Secret Society of Supervillains because it sucked. I did, I did, and I really did. I was like, I'm reading this like but Graham here's, McMillan. Here's the thing. Yes, but doesn't that, isn't that just like? You know, pick a random New 52 book. Isn't the Secret Society of Supervillains just the 1970s version of, like, I don't know, Phantom Stranger or or whatever, Voodoo or whatever? You know, okay, well, first off, the thing that's great is hearing this from you, Mr. I've read this and it's spectacular, by which I mean terrible, but I'm going to insist I mean spectacular. No, but I like terrible things. You know this. Yes, I know. That's what I'm saying. And this is the sort of terrible thing that you would like. Um... I have the strange feeling I have read it. When you were talking about it on Twitter, and I was like, I, I think at some point I have read this comic. Exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm almost sure that you've had. And, and I have read various loose issues of it, but I could not believe, like, rereading it all in a go, how awesomely horrible it is. Like, Isn't it, like, is it not just, like, hilariously half-assed? Is it not, like... Uh, supervillain team up for Marvel where like the creative team changes every single issue yes uh, well every every issue like it just it just changes and evolves but the fact is like when it's at its most stable is in some ways when it's at its most terrible because I hate trash talking dudes especially when they're like probably 87 and like have a Google oh, alert set for themselves so but Pablos Marcos on this is awful. He, Graham, he has never seen a gorilla in his life. And Gorilla Grodd is one of the main characters in this. So what you get is just some like skinny Bigfoot please, motherfucker. Please you're going you're gonna, to like scan this and put it up. And- yeah, I'll, I'll totally have to. Because I mean, there really is. Let's see. I, okay, first off, I've got to turn on a light because it's getting so goddamn dark in my uh, little area that I can't actually read the pages. But... Um, yeah, let me see if I can find some of the the absolute like worst uh, gorilla storytelling. Um, yeah, so uh, 
here here's Gorilla Grodd running in a way that a gorilla has never run before. Here's here's <laughs> no, no, but that is to be fair, how a man in a gorilla suit would run if the gorilla suit was like some shaggy flares. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly how he draws a gorilla. He draws a gorilla like he watched a cheap B movie. Um and so his inability to get the character to like stand up straight is awesome. Okay, but one of the things that I have to talk about that excited me so much is at one point so this so the thing that's actually a shame is is that there's kind of a great idea behind the secret society of supervillains that is in in the idea that or rather I should say the revamped secret society of supervillains because what they do is they collect all the issues and then they also collect um the appearance that appeared in the amazing world of dc comics number 11 introduced by paul levitz which i thought was going to be like a canceled like you know the issue that they run in black and white after you know yeah, like is the it not canceled comics cavalcade no this is the original first issue that they oh totally did jerry conway did this with rick estrada and pablo marcos on inker and carmen infantino went over the issue with him didn't like it so much that they ended up changing it for the printed issue so it is actually it's like the pilot it's episode like team america it's like team america yeah <laughs> Hooray! so i'm so happy um, oh yeah, look at look at look at this gorilla jumping grod. There's gorilla grod jumping like a, a gorilla has never jumped. Here he is doing something. He doesn't actually, he doesn't actually understand that gorillas do not have human proportions. Does no, he? he doesn't I, at does all. Not. And it goes on like this for issues. That's so great. Yeah, it's oh, oh, that's so great. So and the best part stuff. is, this means like there are editors of DC who are like, oh fuck it, just let it let it go. Oh totally. Like, it, I- it's we we don't like it's not worth it. Just yep. just let him like let him fucking draw the the man ape. And and that that editor was Jerry Conway, who is great because he was also the guy who was writing it. So he clearly gave up. Here's awesome. Check out this. You know you know how in comic books when you show the secret lair and of the soup of you know the secret fortress and there's a cutaway view showing all that awesome stuff pablos marcos doesn't look here's here it is and it's just a bunch of boxes that are labeled like the building is just it there's just oh an empty God. diagram that with just things so pointing to it like that stuff so great it is so good like here it says weapon arsenal and it's just a blank square Oh, I love this book so much. There's so much shit that is hilariously bad, like the proportions are off. So the great thing is, is that so the secret villains, it's actually a great idea in that these supervillains are gathered together by Manhunter, um, the, 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 the clone of the original, uh, of the Walt Simonson, Archie yeah, Goodwin yeah. Manhunter, um, by a mysterious Walter? benefactor. What's that? Is he Paul Kirk? Very good. I remember the Paul part. I could not remember the Kirk much. Oh my God, you're wearing an Aquaman shirt. Is that awesome? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't even see that until... Dude, that is so great. God, wow. Here we were trash-talking Black Manta for like 20 minutes, and you were fucking wearing that. Um, so the idea is is that they're brought together by a mysterious benefactor um, to basically work together in their own self-interest enlighten self-interest and accomplish things but very quickly on so what happens is kept in issue two captain comet returns to earth 
sees Green Lantern kicking the ass of two of the members of the Secret Society and goes, well, that guy's clearly a thug, beats up Green Lantern, the supervillains are like, oh, this is awesome, let's recruit Captain Comet. We'll just lie and pretend we're not supervillains, um, even though Captain Comet can read minds. So, yeah. And also, I love the idea of Captain Comet being like, I'm just going to turn on the television. They're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, don't, no, 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 don't do that. Just listen to us. Follow my lips at every time. Oh, the plotting is so bad in this crime. Anyway, so it turns out that the mysterious benefactor that they're working for is Darkseid. And from issue two on, there's like Mantis, the Black Racer, Darkseid, all drawn by Pablos Marcos, who has never read a Jack Kirby comic ever. So you see some... I, I, did, um, like your, I did like your tweeted photograph of Darkseid, where Darkseid is literally a bold purple man. It really is. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's inked by Vince Coletta, who knew better. And that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, Vince Coletta no, was no, like... But Vince Coletta never knew better. Vince Coletta was like, what's that in front of me? Look, if it, can it just like rub some of that out? And then, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Like, can oh, I put a drape on this? There, there's four people in the background. What if I just say two? Yeah, exactly. What if there were? What if there were two and a half? Like I'll put one in. Oh my god! So by the time that you actually get Rich Buckler in there, um, so he actually does know what Dark Side looks like and what the Black Racer is supposed to look like. Um, Bob Rosakis has taken over as writer, and he ends it like wait, wait, four wait, pages like in. Issue, is that like issue four or something? It is issue five, with the awesome. Yeah. That's the one you read. I had, I had no, I had that issue. Um, I got that issue at a second-hand bookshop for like ten pence, and it was maybe the third time I'd ever read a Dark Side comic. Uh huh. And I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Because before that, I'd read like you know, Legends, <laughs> the 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 Ostrander Ween Burn thing, right? Because uh, I I didn't read Burn. I did, sorry, I didn't read Kirby to Dark Side for fucking decades <laughs> I'd read like Legends and maybe like Darkseid appeared in like a Superman issue by Byrne right. and then I read that and I was just like what the fuck like this is not the same what like John Byrne's much better John Byrne made him look like a, a, an alien what the fuck is this totally totally so this is the thing that's hilarious is out of these 10 issues the one new gods character that pretty much is there from like issue 2 to the very end Funky Flashman. Now he starts off, yeah. They because what happens is he gets involved as like the PR guy who wants to like clean up the supervillain's PR image and is like, "Listen to me, true believers. You've gotta, you know, I you gotta know how to sell these things, and I'm all about sales." Um, and of course, because Pablo's Marcos has never seen Funky Flashman ever, he starts off looking like. Um, he basically ends up looking like a, a hippie in a beard, which, to be fair, is something that that um, yeah. yeah that he was cultivating. Probably, yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can find the first appearance of him because what's great is Rich Buckler comes in, and then later it's Rich Buckler um, inked by Bob Layton, and Bob Layton. They clearly know what Stanley looks like. I'm trying to see if I can like find one of the panels. Okay, so. Here's one of the later panels of Funky Flashman. Um, I think you can see him holding oh, up a cigar, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then even, that's him basically convincing Luther. And then here he is 
later. Can oh you see that? My God. It is. It's like wow. it's all they're but like, a. They're like that's that's done. Lee thing was far too subtle. Exactly. Like let's let's see how much photo representation we can get in there before we finish. Anyway, one of my very favorite se- sequences is where Green Lantern, and this was not the storyteller's fault. I think Green Lantern faces off against Mantis. And it's great because Hal Jordan clearly does not know what the word parasite is because he says, Mantis says, I am Mantis, Earthman, the power parasite. And Green Lantern's like, power parasite, huh? Well, let's see how you handle an energy blast from my power ring. So (laughs) Mantis actually absorbs all the energy, like gets stronger. And so what does Green Lantern do? He like blasts him again. It's great. He just blasts him until he passes out. It is like the best comic ever. Like here he is. Like... Wait, 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 Green Lantern passed out. I thought it was one of those double, like, I've overfed you, now you must go to sleep. You no, think, Green right? Lantern's no, no, right. Green Lantern's just like, mm, why won't you die? And then he just falls over. And then Green Mantis is like, I have all the power of Green Lantern, that idiot. It's like the best ever. He's like, feels so wasted, can't concentrate. I'll just keep blasting him. Like... And Mantis is telling him, yes, yes, your blasts make me stronger. And Green Lantern's like, shut up. Why won't you fall? It is the best. This was the funniest superhero fight I think I've ever read in so long. It was awesome. It was awesome. There's, like, other stuff in here, though, that is just so bad. Like, there's, like, at one point... Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, and Captain Stingery form, like, a super team, a mini super team, take off in a giant boomerang spaceship so that they can rob Skylab, and then when that fails... Oh my god. When that... That's a plan. When that fails, they basically, like, walk off, they, like, hold... They hold an astronaut hostage with a sword at his throat, walk out of the ship, fly off, and then two pages later, they're just, like robbing a boat later like you don't find out what happens to the astronaut you don't even they're even like they even leave their spaceship up there and they're like okay well all right on to our next heist i'm like what the fuck you guys like oh this book no we need more of that jeff we need more of that because they were they were clearly just like you know this didn't work out we're not gonna get pissed we're just gonna get out of here we'll ditch the astronaut we'll like there's probably a boat let's steal a boat instead oh the great part that's what we need the great part is is this is Bob Rosakis like he doesn't explain anything but at the end after later they try and like rob a football team or they rob him it's like they jump in at a football game and then they like they're like okay everybody this is a stick up like 40,000 people and then they just start attacking the football team like of course as you do and and it oh, it's so good it is so good and they later on like um you know captain comics like because they said they're like why did these guys just try all these crazy robberies and he's like who knows how the criminal mind thinks and then in the next panel he explains it he was like well clearly they were trying to establish their dominance over land sea and air except it's like space so i'm like yeah like that makes sense i mean it's that's great but wait Captain Comet says that after he says who knows like what goes on in the criminal mind. Yes. Did no one actually say you're a mind reader? Oh, that is true. <laughs> you, yeah. You, that's, you, you do. Maybe you that's do it. Maybe Comet. that's how he explains it. Yeah, hold on a second. Let me see if that's how he... He also has that... I don't know if you saw, but this is that amazing like 
Kirby panel where instead of people like leaping forward at you from the front, it's like reversed. Oh, so no, it's everyone's like no, 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 no. That's not Kirby. That's Gil Kane. Gil Kane doing this thing? That is hilarious, Graham. That is okay. Maybe now that you say that, no, but that's no, that's totally a Gil Kane thing. That's that's not Kirby. That's Kane. I You're think wrong. I, you can give I, me the face all you want. I think that they are doing a totally hilarious Jack Kirby piss up. Like his like. What if instead of showing him jumping out and punching out at you like you always do, we show the reverse angle of that? So you see the foot in the ass. Awesome. Awesome. Oh man, there's so many good things of it. Yeah, he say he does say, "Who can understand the criminal mind? They kidnapped captains from land, sea, and air to prove their superiority overall." And it's just like, as you point out, no one's like, "Well, you like who knows? Who knows? So much good stuff." Captain Comet goes to Hawkman and Hawkgirl satellite for Rangarian goulash. Like it just it, the hits Wait, never keep ending. Rangarian goulash or Thanagari. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thanagarian goulash. Oh, I see. No, I really hope that, like, there was another... They've just been like, and I've just come from Ranagar. Or oh, no. Like but you know what's great is, is at one point, um, when when Jack... Jerry Conway comes back and takes over the book, because the whole thing's set in San Francisco, at one point, there's, like, this huge battle that takes place up in uh, Mendamino County. Like, instead of... Men- <laughs> and- oh, my God. That's spectacular. <laughs> And I I have to say that would have impressed me more if at one point they hadn't accidentally referred to apocalypse as apocalios like someone like screwed up the p <laughs> the second p there and put in an o it sounds like a Greek island right so they're like mm, apocalios let's, let's go to apocalios it's, it's lovely this time of year <laughs> so anyway to return to your question um, I think that this is better than what you get from the new 52 because in theory the terrible bang for the buck is yeah it's worse it's more compressed so there's so much more awfulness jammed into a shorter period of space um and also as at least for me like i kind of have this thing of this could have been good like the idea of having a bunch of basically sort of the supervillain version of leverage where all these villains are brought together and they realize that they are being used as patsies and they decide to use their powers against the greater evil above them basically and that evil being Kirby's new gods is kind of is actually I think a very cool idea um, I look forward to you reviving that under obviously a new title, DC are using Secret Society right now. But come on, yeah, you can you can do that. Come on, you can you can do that. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. You read it, and even with the various subplots, because again, there's these weird subplots where like Paul Kirk, who's the Manhunter, is basically under deep cover, but he's also running the team. You know, and but they're like thugs, but he's trying. You know what I mean? Like he has to come up yeah. with ways to sort of keep them from being total dickholes but also keep them from suspecting him and stuff and it's so loaded with potential and it's hilarious how badly the potential is not even close to being fulfilled yeah Yeah, it's great yeah I I might be wrong there's two collections of that right is there like you've got volume one I think there's a volume two Let let me see. I wouldn't think so because when it ends, they say. Does it end? Does it end with the Justice League collection issues? Um, you know what? 
No, it does end up with peak, pick up the Secret Society of Supervillains special on sale August 30th. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe there is another one. I just assume that never came out because it really was like there's a lot of crossover where something happens and people are like, you know, as seen in um, DC Super Team issue 10 or DC Super Team number 8. Like someone was trying to cross plot with that. Um, but what what's ama- oh, and what's awesome is is that they introduce a special secret code like um, Funky Flashman brings in a special code for people to start talking in, and it says like see letters page to decode, cl-, and they don't include oh, that. Li- they don't include that, that's, it. That's, they're like screw you guys. Yeah, it really is. Like, and even when it ends, it's like you know, it's for the conclusion of this story featuring Cockajuggle. Pixel Abiglibly, Clo, Plidoodle. I mean, it just goes on for like 10 minutes, and then it, even at the bottom it says, For Funky Secret Code, send a self addressed stamped envelope to Funky Secret Code, <laughs> DC Comics Inc. And then they cut out the rest of the address. Like, they clearly, like, edited this, and we're like, Do we leave this part in? Let's leave part of it in. We don't want people actually writing us, but we do want them to know they're getting fucked. So let's leave the second part in, you know. I want, I want to let you know that there is actually a second volume, and this is what's in the second volume, and this might make you buy it. Are you ready? Is it out yet? Secret. When's it out? Yes, it came out last year. Secret Society of Supervillains issues 11 through 15. Cancelled Comics Cavalcade issue 2. Justice League of America issues 166 through 168. DC Special issue 27. DC Special Series issue 6. And Super Team Family issues 13 to 14. Fuck yes, I'm getting that. I'm fucking getting that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not in hardcover or something, is it? It is a hardcover, yeah. Okay, there's yeah, no I way mean, I'm fucking getting never. that. Yeah, I'm not. Well, here's, here's the thing. How much, how much did you pay for the paperback? Uh, $20 before my Comics Experience discount well, kicked in. If you go on Amazon, you can get it on hardcover for new for $18.49. Shit. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Screw you, Graham McMillan. <laughs> Fuck. Come on, Jeff. Ah, well. You know you want to. You do know you want to. Come on. Dude, I have to say, this was hilarious reading. It was terrible, terrible comics from, like, the start to the end. But there was something that I really it enjoyed about that. It was full-scale shit. It was, it was just atrociously bad. But it's like, that's what I loved so much about... Um, Secret uh, Supervillain Team Up, the Marvel Essentials book, oh, yeah. which is like the entire series in one book, like for fifteen dollars or something, and it's terrible. But like every single fucking issue has got a new writer. And yeah, it's like, pretty much. The old order changes, and you're like, what? What? That that old order is like a month old, and even then, like, what? The, what are you doing now? And it'd be like every every month, it'd be like, I am Namor. I hate you, Doctor Doom. No, I'm working with you. No, I hate Magneto. No, I hate you again. No, or am I? Who knows what? Who? Uh? <laughs> totally, totally. Although, didn't they have like Inglehart did three issues? Like, I remember thinking of him as like the best three issues in there. But isn't it like three issues? Maybe four? I think. I don't know. Because he he comes in and it's if he did, then it's different artists in every issue. Because there's definitely a different oh, totally. team every single. Absolutely, one. absolutely. No, 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 no. And at first, it was every other person changing. But by the time, yeah, no. By the time they get Inglehart, they go through three different artists. Then he's off. Then I want to say Keith Giffen comes in, um, in doing his super Kirby style stuff, and I don't remember who's writing it. It's probably somebody like David Kraft, God help him. And then that jumps off, and then they've got the Doctor Doom Red Skull stuff that comes out of nowhere. 
It's also, I love that the final two issues are a fill-in. Are they the Peter B. Gillis stuff or whatever? Uh, it goes, so according to Wikipedia, it's Doctor Doom Submariner all the way through issue 10. Yes. Then it's Doctor Doom Red Skull for two issues. That's right. Then it's right. Doctor Doom Submariner again. Then it's Doctor Doom Magneto. Then it's Doctor Doom and Red Skull, which is a f- like reprint issue. Issue 15 <laughs> is just reprint. <laughs> and then issue 16 and 17, the final issues, are Red Skull and Hatemonger. Oh, yeah. And those I think those are Peter B. Gillis issues where it was just that classic, like... They just like given up their like what? Well, I mean, how do I put it? It's that weird like they've given up on the main idea. Peter B. Gillis is kind of doing that sort of sort of that same sort of J.M. Dematius like I've got a story to tell and I can wig it in here and it's a story about the nature of hate and it's Red Skull versus the hate monger versus each other, you know. And then, oh my God, Jeff, 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 get this. This will blow your mind. Wikipedia has just told me something that will blow your mind. <laughs> Are you ready? I am. Issue 14 of the series was published in October 1977. Yes. Issue 15 was published in November 1978. Yeah. Issue 16, May 1979, and issue 17, June 1980. Yeah. Do you want to know why it took a year between issues? No, that I don't know. They'd cancelled the book, but they brought it back in order to stop DC trademarking the term supervillain for the secret society of supervillains oh my god of course they did i i was always curious when they kept coming back with it because it like i was on the stands i think i probably have i don't have a complete run but i have a shockingly full run of supervillain team up um and it is I, bad it's so terrible oh it's terrible but yeah I, I, that's what i mean like when you read it in a collection and from this distance, you can be like, this is terrible. This is so bad. Mm-hmm. They had no fucking idea what they were doing. I love it. Yeah. It's like Teen Titans. The showcase Teen Titans books are the same. You're, where you're like, especially by the second volume, you're like, you guys have no fucking idea. Right. You're just like, you're just telling, you know, Bob Haney to do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> like, you, you don't know. You guys don't know at all. <laughs> so true so very terrifyingly true and sometimes that part that stuff is great um let's see are there other things that we should talk about that were comics news or or other comics uh, i i want to say very quickly did you read oh no you've not got to the store this week have you no i went earlier today in fact oh you did yeah. Did you have a chance to buy or read zero al scott's new series i did i did and i enjoyed it Actually, I like that yeah, first I, issue. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the new issue a lot. Um, he has a great uh, elevator pitch for it, which I don't know if you've heard. Mm, I, his elevator pitch is, uh, what if James Bond realized that his side were the bad guys all along? Mm, mm, interesting. I, it'll uh, be curious to see if that how that comes out and develops, because the first issue of this actually struck me as a... Uh, and the thing that's tough is I would... I would this sounds like it's damning with faint praise but it was like reading a a pretty good Warren Ellis comic it actually reminded me of um it almost reminded me of an issue of global frequency in the sense of like a done in one with a ticking clock and a character that's set up and a lot of action to move it along but interestingly yeah. enough um the scenes between the two field supervisors were actually the part that actually gives me a little bit of hope about the book or gave it like a different enough tone that I ended up enjoying it more than um, 
then weirdly, I guess in that sense, by the time Ellis is hits his hyper competent, I'm doing crazy done in ones, you know, using tomorrow's research type stuff. He kind of doesn't really give a shit about characters anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Ellis gets very into the like, I have a great idea. Mm-hmm. Bump. Yeah, exactly. And at least I sort of felt with zero, I walked out of it being like. Um, I sort of want to know about these characters and also I sort of want to know how he's going to uh, if and how he's going to sort of bring together the tones of sort of we're fucked quasi-nihilism and we always have to be hopeful because human beings are actually human, you know? Yeah, I, I really like it because of the, the weird you know, dissonance between those two things. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And I, I really like the, I guess you could call him the main character, the the, the mover and the shaker behind the, the central sequence, the guy who, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler but not spoiler, like climbs into the tank to help identify him for you. Yes. Um, I really like, I like his hopeful nihilism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like that he is he is like a nihilistic. He's he's just like, you know, well we're all fucked. But I like his sort of refusal to accept that about himself even. Yes. I, I found that, that very, very nice. I also should say, uh, it's a fucking gorgeous book. Like the art is great. Yeah, the art was really, really super strong on that, and that's the other thing that I thought was, was quite good. Um is uh, it, between it was the Michael colors. Walsh. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Re- Walsh did the art and Jordi Berlier did the art. Yeah. They did the color. And it and it ends up being almost um, I don't know who it made me think of, it, it, but it, there were several points where it, it just it worked the, between the storytelling and everything else. Yeah, that was actually that was a good issue. That was the only thing I picked up this week apart from the Secret Society of Supervillains. So, congratulations, <laughs> okay, Alice. I have to ask, why did you um, pick up Secret Society of Supervillains? Like, was it just there? It was it was just there on the new comics rack. I think it came out as a trade paperback this week. I guess maybe because of because of Villains Month, I assume DC like put it out there, so it was right there. And I'm like, oh, this is so goofy. And I picked it up, and you know that page I showed you with the fucking photo reference Stan Lee face. I was like, you're like, I must have this. I kind of did that, and then I flipped through, and I'm like, oh my god, like the Black Racer, Dark Side. I didn't realize it was so New Gods heavy. This will be fantastic, and I was wrong, or right in a way. But also right, yeah. Yeah, in a way that I was not expecting. So uh, I, I just want to say on zero very quickly because I'm leafing through it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the art, and it, it definitely at times reminds me of David Aha from Hawkeye. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's where I was going and for I think somewhere it's between more that or the. It's more the pacing than the finish, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. John Paul Leon also weirdly yeah, enough yeah. in that same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so which are well, which are all yeah, I'm, really good I'm, I'm super excited about uh, Zero. I think it's a really good first issue, and I like. I also love the format of it, so I'm really glad that I liked reading the issue as much as I like the concept. I like the idea that it's going to basically be a done in one every issue, but with a different artist every issue. Right. Right. And it all happens within a twenty-year span, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I'm kind of fascinated by as well. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how we'll see we'll see if it comes across. It's definitely a really strong first issue. You're not really enjoying profit or reading profit uh, in the singles. I'm I I'm yeah I'm way behind. I'm actually reading it in the the um, 
image press PDFs, but I'm just really behind. This issue was fucking phenomenal. And one of the things why I think you might actually really also like this, Graham, if you get a chance to, next time you're in the store, look through it and flip through it, is it's sort of like a jam issue in that um, they pretty much bring in all the all the artists. So you've got a couple of pages by Giannis, Mila Giannis. Um, there's actually a series of pages by James Stucco, and then there's pages by Simon Roy. Uh, and who else is in here? Lando, Aaron Conley, Matt Sheehan, and Malachi Ward, um, Ron Wimberly, and, and Brandon Graham. And normally you would think that that would actually be like a complete mess, but because it's telling the story of what happened to Die Hard over the course of 20-some-odd centuries and also how it ties up some of the main storytelling stuff, it it all comes together. And what's great is on the last two pages, you can actually see Brandon Graham's thumbnails along with the photo reference that he uses. So it's kind of a really great process thing to see how he put it together. You know what I mean? Um, really, really a strong issue. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you would get that much out of it without reading the rest of all the rest of the stuff, but it seems to me you could just flip through it and purely on a craft level be impressed no, with no, it. No, no, no. Pretty much as soon as you said, and look, you have the script and the, th- um, the thumbnails, and I was like, I will be buying that. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> yes, was, I will. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I, I thought that was actually really great. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm sort of... I don't have a place to go with it, but one of the things that I have to say that I'm impressed with parts of what Hickman's doing is is like that um, that reading order list in Infinity is one of the nicest event things that I've seen in a while, you know? And I wish there were more people doing things like that. Um, and part of what made me think of it is is Graham's layout in the background in the back of this profit issue really shows you, I guess, how Graham is an artist and how for him thinking like an artist allows him to, I'm assuming, the his use of reference for what he wants to get and the way he tailors the, the story to, to people um, strikes me as the sort of thing that a very smart visual storyteller can do. And I'm fascinated in the way in which Hickman is almost a visual storyteller for me but maybe he is but he doesn't work for me but I'm always fascinated by the way in which he is he's at least trying to think about how to visualize his story ideas even if it's just his reading order pitch you know what I mean I I think that Hickman is definitely uh, like Brian Wood actually I think I think Wood sort of shifts away from this and at least has done in recent years right Uh, it's definitely a visual thinker Mm mm-hmm and is very concerned with the visuals, if not necessarily visual storytelling. Right. I, I think I think both are, are and, and uh, Graham for that matter, mm-hmm. are very aware of the finished product mm-hmm. and how the finished product looks uh, and the aesthetic of the product as a whole. Right. Uh, and another good example of that, I think, is the and I know you're you're not a fan whatsoever, but the Joe Casey books. Mm-hmm. And Joe Casey's like really clearly paying attention to the design more of his finished books these days. Oh, yeah. Like there, it leads to weird ass choices. Like I still don't get the color to text and bounce, uh, or sex. No, it's sex. It's in sex. sex. It's yeah. text. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just don't understand it. Right. But he's clearly 
or the artist is, or or you know, someone is mm-hmm. clearly thinking about the way that the package looks as a whole. Yeah. Uh, in a way that's that's kind of fascinating to me, and you know you can do that with an image book more than you can do it with a big two book because you are in control of the ad placement, right? You know, whereas right. like I mean, what's fascinating to me about Hickman doing it with Infinity is that he has to deal with ad placement all the way through that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and so, and so that's that makes it I don't know more interesting, more challenging in a weird way. I think you can also point to something like eh, J. H. Williams Batwoman. But also, um, Manipal's Flash mm-hmm. as a reapproaching the actual visual storytelling, not the package as such, right? But what what beyond panel to panel continuity an mm-hmm. artist can provide in order to provide an experience, right? Yeah, the changing of the the experience, I guess, is probably a good way to frame that, and and it yeah, is and worth I, qualifying. I another good one. Um, what's that? As another good one in. Yeah. in Hawkeye, right? As well. Well, it it is worth it is I think worth mentioning the number of dudes who were artists who moved into writers. You know, is pretty substantial, like across the board now at this point. You know, um, I think that's really worth mentioning because there are dudes uh, like everyone. A lot of people tend to forget that Ed Brubaker was a cartoonist before he moved into just writing, and you know, of course, we know that about Bendis and and um, a bunch of other people from Azarello on. A lot of guys seem to have a really, you know, and I'm fascinated to the way in which they ended up becoming either less visual or more reliant on the artist to bring that i suppose you know what what i find very interesting is i think i i i might be wrong but i think for example in bendis's case he had this moment of oh these guys can do it so much better than i can and he disengaged from the visual side of it Mm because he's like they're better they can handle it right and i think with a hickman or a, a wood you have they're so much better than i am but i still want the input Right. I still want to be there, right? And well, I think that's the difference. I think I think Al Ewing's actually another one too, who's who um, has a ton of ideas about visuals and visual sequencing, you know, for just a writer. So it's, it's so it's. I mean, it obviously varies from from person to person, but yeah, there are guys who are very much like they're into comics for the visuals of it. You know, like the the idea of how you can tell a story in just comics. And that sort of thing is incredibly encouraging, even when I don't necessarily sort of like it. But I do have to say that Hickman, I do respect the way in which um, his books for Marvel despite all the other things that drive me crazy that I think are huge mistakes or or just, you know, flat-out errors, um, I, I appreciate there, there's still an idea of trying to bring, shape the experience of the book itself, you know, um, yeah. make that a unique experience. Which, interesting... Yeah. Sorry, on you go. Oh, no, 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 no. I think I, my loose wrap-up was how frustrating it is that DC is kind of obsessed with doing the opposite, <laughs> you know, in terms of trying to make their product homogenous, 
Yeah, more more generic. So there's a DC experience as opposed to an individual comic experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even even while continuing to weirdly percolate uh, individual experiences there. I mean, Williams is gone. Manipole and Bucoletto are going to be leaving um, Flash. But, you know, like, I'm kind of fascinated by how Azarello and Chang's Wonder Woman is going to work like I saw that two page ad for Superman Wonder Woman, you know what I mean? And I'm like 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 how how is it not getting cancelled yet? It, it's I'm I'm super curious as to what is going to be the the flashpoint of you know Yeah. You have to do it our way or not. Like, cause it, at this point there has to be a countdown, right? Yeah, yeah. It really does seem like it's been this very bizarre standoff. Especially the thing is Azarello is like publicly at DC panels at conventions slacking off. Yeah. Like everything else they're doing. Yeah. I think I don't know. Maybe it's maybe Wonder Woman is just so traditionally a poor seller that now that it's selling okay, it's not even selling great, but now that it's selling okay, they're like fine. Whatever you fucking want. Right. Whatever you want, while at the same time we're going to completely undercut it with a different book in the marketplace. So Yeah, but to be fair, they've done they've done that since Justice League. Justice League has always had a uh much more generic superhero take on Wonder Woman. Right. Right, right, right. I, I guess that's nothing new. How do I put it? Like I sort of figured that would be the case until uh I was flipping through some DC comic. Maybe maybe it was one of these new fifty two books, and there's like you know, a double-page splash ad for Superman, Wonder Woman. Oh yeah, it's 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 in all the books this month. Yeah, and and one half of the ad is the Wonder Woman supporting cast. You know, that has sure, been built and created. The other created. half of the ad is the Superman supporting cast. It's not like they're just co-opting one. I think it's just one of those generic covers where it's like, that's it. It's the entire world, everyone. <laughs> I, I I I didn't read that at all. As like we are we are stealing your characters. I read it as. That's right. It's the whole shebang. I don't see it as stealing the characters. I see it more as in the place of this is taking place in the same world. You know what I mean? And that doesn't present a problem, I feel, with Superman and the Superman titles the same way as it does with Wonder Woman. Very specifically Wonder Woman. Well, it depends how they play it. Hmm. If Sue and Daniels basically stay back and let Azrael take charge, then I'm sure there's going to be no problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it becomes the bridge between regular DC books and Azrael and Chang, then that's probably a best case scenario for DC. Right. Right. If basically, you know, they don't step on on Azrael and Chang's toes, the question is, of course, how long can they not step on their toes? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Yeah. That is that is pretty much the question. My suspicion is it's going to be a very short period of time. Here's a funny thing. So the fi- the new 52 3D covers, um, yeah. they have a 3D ad on the back. Do you yeah. s- see that? How much did they get paid to do the 3D ad? Like, it would have to be more expensive, right? I mean, it's tough because it's Batman, so... But it's well, a... Just it. Like, how much, how much did... Like, is it one of those, you know, you scratch our back, we'll scratch your steals? Right. I I have absolutely no insight into what DC is doing with its ads, despite the fact that it is currently advertising the Hollywood Reporter Seat Vision blog, which I write for. <laughs> I, I like, but I had no idea that was coming either. And literally, I'm flipping through. I'm like, holy shit! It's the blog I write for, uh, which is a very strange experience. Um, but I know that when they launched the new Fifty Two two years ago, 
uh, there were ads for like the onion and various other things right that where uh, BBC America was another mm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. were the places that DC was advertising itself ah okay. and I wonder how much of this thing is like some sort of like ad share or co-op or something yeah I mean I uh, actually it's, it's funny that you mentioned that flipping through this dark side book there's not a single thing here that isn't a DC house ad of one kind or if not a house ad for DC a house ad for a DC related product you know in the way that DC someone could say yeah. yeah the DC collectibles really? or this the, Batman the, the, game the Heat Vision one isn't in there? Uh, I, know, I know recently I've seen Heat Vision and Newsarama in there yeah Heat Vision's or at least on the version I have 2D version I have the Heat Vision on the inside cover oh interesting of, wh- of which book? of Darkseid Oh no, the the that's got to be a 2D thing. The inside cover for this probably because the whole like we had to print this in advance is um wow, Heat Vision ad in the 3D. Uh this is this is the Justice, Justice League, League Jeff Jones. Yeah. yeah, Justice League. So ad. watch your watch your watch your back inside cover cuz here is Midtown Comics. And here it's DC Collectibles, the action figures, yeah, there the you villain go. action figures. Yeah. So, so there are actually external um DCU adverts in the 2D version. Wow. So there's some real wacky double dipping there. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe they would say... <laughs> maybe they're it like, that's sailing. part of why it's a dollar cheaper. I mean, apart from the crazy cover, is like it's also being more underwritten with external ads or ad swapping. I don't know. Because uh, I know that uh, Marvel has definitely been doing Marvel-adjacent ads for years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly, and to to the, I mean, that goes all the way back to uh, the Jameis Casada new Marvel era, where it seemed like anyone that wanted to buy like Spider Man like licensing product, you know, would get free ads in the Marvel comics themselves. So there would be like, hey, Spider Man Magnum condoms, you know, and other come weird, inappropriate stuff like in the middle of their of their comics. So. I don't know, man. I don't know. The but the advertising is like, boy, I would love to see the spreadsheets on how that stuff works. You know what I mean? Because they they have to account for that. There has to be money that if it's not going in or going out, it has to be accounted for in their budget for their advertising. Yeah, but if you think about it, so you look through that, you've got ads for like Arrow on the CW, right? That'll, that'll come from the CW's fund. That won't come from anyone else's. Well, that's so what I mean. They'll get paid for that. Right. But how much of that... How do I put it? How much of that how weird... Much, how much do they actually get paid? Or how much do they, do they get a special friend's discount? Yeah, kind of. Like yeah. these weird yeah. like zero-sum balances. You know? Yeah, who knows? Where like the advertising department you know, puts that in their ledger as ad that they paid for and DC puts it as like an ad that they received money for um, but neither actually did. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. fine because it's because it's all internal anyway. I don't know. Really weird. You can tell uh, viewers that I'm brain dead at the last twelve minutes of our, our, our what, podcast. What is interesting is I also got. Um, Ooh. Is Batman sixty six. Yes. Uh, and this has completely different ads from the ones that are in the uh, the mainstream DC superhero line. Really? Including ads for Cartoon Network is in there, Scribblenaut, mm-hmm. which is uh, Nintendo is on the back. Yeah. Uh, is that the, a DC James- Scribblenauts, though? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to double check. Uh, 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 James Patterson Kids book is in the inside cover. Whoa. 
So That's yeah, there, there's it's it's got yeah it's got entirely different things. Also, I'd say uh, it wasn't until I read the print because when after we talked about Batman Six Six digitally last time, I went and bought the digital issues. Then it got sent in this print collection, which is the two parts of the Red Hoods and the egg. Ed, Ed, Ed story falls. Yes, I didn't realize Jeff Parker is sneaking in 1980s pop references into all the stories, and I fucking loved it when I realized. Wait, which reference? Which references are you talking to? Talking uh, about the professor says, "Where's my mind?" When he gets the oh yeah, above. and then in the Egghead, the first line of the Egghead story is um, Egghead quoting the Beastie Boys. Yes, he says, "The egg, a symbol of life." I loved it! I had this moment of, you're fucking quoting the Beastie Boys, Jeff Parker, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. the the, the, the in-jokes and stuff in that have been delightful. And didn't the Joe Canone's art on that Red Hood look kind of gorgeous? I remember yeah. loving it, it, was, it a it was lot great. Yeah. on digital. It's so. very, very good. And uh, and I like yeah, that. I, I got an issue. Yep. Yeah, it's, I, I approve. Thumbs yes. up, everyone. Two thumbs up for us. Um in our last few minutes before we finish I want to take advantage of something that Jeff and I were emailing about earlier on today and for once it's something that you listeners can take advantage of before it's too late kids the top shelf production sale you should fill your boots as the saying goes it's fucking amazing top shelf has until Friday September 27th oh good okay so this sale on their website for stuff yeah their sale is astounding mm-hmm. and I'm not exaggerating if you want to get March the book that has just been published about the civil rights movement you can get it in hardcover for $15 that's half price if you want to get Heck or Creator uh, 15 which is the books from Double Barrel they're like $10 each if you want to go slightly deeper you can like I did buy the hardcover Eddie Campbell Alec collection for $8 instead of 50 instead of 50 people you can also like I did buy the From Hell Companion for $3 instead of 30 yeah an insane sale it's nuts yeah people you should all take full advantage of this because these are fucking amazing comics at literally ludicrous prices yeah some of the prices they are doing some amazing liquidation style stuff there you should also mention I know some people picked it up and thought it was odd wasn't necessarily their cup of tea but like seriously we have talked to some of the other books that we've talked about uh, at long and loving length in previous podcasts for example Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover's Gingerbread Girl you can get for three dollars uh, in print. Oh, seriously, I didn't even see that. Just yeah. break girls. Oh, everyone, you owe it to yourself to buy that. Yeah, that's that's that is a pretty amazing piece of work. But there's there's other things in here. Um, you know, there there's a there's a lot of really uh, good stuff over here. Um, yeah, it's stunningly cheap. Yeah. I I was genuinely kind of appalled at how cheap some of those things are. As you know, I put off getting the Alec book because I got most of the stuff like in earlier editions. Yes. But then when I saw they had the $50 hardcover for $8, it was one of those, this is ridiculous. How can I not buy this book now? They're actually, it's almost like they're just mailing it to me and going to invoice me later and be like, we know you wanted it. <laughs> it's like, did you see my, my uh, Twitter conversation with 2080 today? No, I missed it. Where I was like, hey guys, you know how you give away a free graphic novel with the Judge Dredd magazines? Why don't you just sell them really cheap on uh, digitally? And they're like, well, you know that you get them with every time you buy a digital back issue, right? Oh, really? 
Yes. So for six dollars, you get the back issue and the accompanying graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Oh, of the magazine? Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Which is so for people who don't know, uh, the magazine in print comes packaged with a graphic novel collection of old 2008 stuff. Basically, the really obscure stuff that would never sell if yeah, they did it. Exactly. Uh, but you can get them for like it's three pounds digitally. So translate that like what five fifty or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get the full PDF, which is what? How long is the magazine? Uh, the the magazine is um, I want to say the magazine is sixty pages, and then maybe it's another sixty pages on top of that um, of of collected stuff. I can break open because I I will. Yeah, I, okay. I, looking at the the copy they sent, it's one hundred and thirty two pages in total. Yeah. So that that's the graphic novel and the thing, which is just nuts. Yeah, it's great. Well, and if you subscribe to the magazine, which I think is what twenty two dollars for three months so it's roughly seven or eight dollars a month you get it digitally delivered to your thing and it's um including the graphic novel yeah it includes the graphic novel so and in fact that's been my favorite part of the of as much as there's been some great stuff in the magazine which i've enjoyed a lot reading the old obscure a lot of like dan abnett and lanning stuff uh is fantastic like there and there was this one that was um like a cyborg cabbie that was collected from like a bajillion years ago like a you know taxi driver private eye type dude awesome stuff like really really old 2000 AD um but I completely dug it yeah no that's that is that is actually it's a pretty good deal part of me is like eh, you know for digital I'm like ah, you know I'm trying to think. Actually, I should double check and make sure that I'm not misquoting the price because there's two different prices for 2000 AD digital and 2000 AD the the magazine. Um, but and it would be nice sometimes if you could just pay a lower price and just get the magazine in a way, or, or just get the collection stuff. I guess. I was gonna say I I would do the opposite. I would literally just pay for the collection stuff. Yeah, exactly. So so it's for twenty two dollars um twenty two dollars every three months you get yeah you so get yeah, seven seven thirty yeah exactly so and that's that's 130 you know issue 130 pages at a go and then of course 2000 ad is 30 dollars every three months so that's ten dollars a month for you know four issues you know it's like 120 buck pages of of current stuff um i'm have to say i'm still a huge addict i will not be quitting my subscriptions to those anytime soon even if par- in my heart of hearts I wish that they were a few dollars uh, cheaper in a way do you, want me to, do you want me to drive you insane? yes if you buy them digitally like individually as PDFs or CBZs yeah they are $4.81 really? yeah Ooh. I just did the math really? $4.80 so yeah. they're actually cheaper to buy them as PDFs? yeah yeah but here's the thing you, they're not immediate. I think there's a gap. I think there's like a two week gap or something. That makes sense. That makes sense because these are day and date. But you know what? Honestly, not that I really care about that. So I don't know. And also, uh, as we should point out, like, well, actually, I don't know, frankly, if the stuff that is. I'm assuming the stuff that I get from 2000 AD is at least DRM'd in the sense that I'm never going to be able to read it on anything but an iPad. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that sense it is. But if you get it from the digital stores, it, if you download it from them directly, it's DRM free. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's actually more open source if you buy it from the store directly than if you get the subscription. Yep, and if you get the 2008, it's $3.19 based on current. Because here's the thing, you pay it in British, so you, you make the translation, like, depending right. on whatever the exchange rate is. So in other words, you could get a great deal if the exchange rate fucking tanks. Yes, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but right now, it's $3.19 for an issue of 2008 from the uh, 2008 digital store. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it's tough. Stuff. I think you're actually getting a better deal with the with the. Anyway, in any event, everybody, we try our best. What we're basically saying, people, is we're trying to save you money, listeners. We're really trying to save you. <laughs> you're you're here while we're talking about this conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's I I would strongly recommend that mm. people uh, at least sample two thousand. me, sample two thousand AD from the digital store if you don't want to subscribe first. I think two thousand AD has been in a role for a while. I think the magazine's really great as well. Right. I think we've talked it up here more than enough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We really have. And in fact, that's been such a strong uh, element of our conversations over the last year or two that I'm, I'm always a little embarrassed to bring it up at this point. But it is worth mentioning. We both highly recommend it. And 1850, the latest prog, it may not be available in the store, but when it is, it's a new jumping on point. So... Um, really something to consider it's, I would say. it's available in the store people I will tell you that right now because I'm in the store as we speak oh okay so you can pick um, up 1850 right now yes and you can also pick up graphic novels from the store did you know that I did but their subscript their selection is damnably slight yes it is it is very very poor their, their yeah. selection digital selection from the store although I will say it includes both the Indigo Prime books Oh right, um, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is and I, I, w- I would really genuinely recommend Digital Prime, mm-hmm. uh, especially Jeff for you. Second collection, uh, which is called Anthropocalypse, because that's easy to say. Uh, it's illustrated by Edmund Bagwell, who did the Ten Seconders art. Ooh, interesting. Okay, and therefore does, and also it's him doing Kirby, pretty much. Right. So, yeah, as you might expect, that's kind of amazing looking. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and they're ten pounds, which is comes out as like fifteen dollars right now. Really? Are we? We're yeah. at a buck fifty for the because it used uh, to be it was two two bucks to the to the pound. I, let's see, if I put in nine ninety nine pounds and dollars, it is sixteen dollars and two cents huh. for a ten dollar book. Well, that's that's a ten pound book. So there you go. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad at all. Um. Yeah, I will have to consider. Hmm. Um, indeed. Indeed. Oh, okay. Listeners, we should also tell you while we're telling you stuff. Yes. Um, we're off next week again, right? You're traveling? Um. You know, the weird thing is, how did I was uh, going to put it? I believe we are on next week and we're off the week after that. Because, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, because next week I will be in New York, but I will have been safely ensconced in New York you know for like a day or two so in theory I, sh- I can find a couple hours to podcast um, provided the Wi-Fi is strong enough at our place however the Thursday after that which is October 3rd is when we will be flying back from New York and therefore I will be incommunicado okay then yeah. Then, uh, or if you have a Wi-Fi on your plane we could record while you're on a plane 
And that wouldn't be annoying to everyone around you at all. Well, you know what? I See, that's it. Not only is that such a dick move, but that dick move never works for me. Like, whenever I'm on Virgin and I try watching anything, like, oh, like, oh, hey, Netflix, let's see what happens. It's always like, it, uh, 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 it, it. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's the case. I'm assuming everyone gets bad Wi-Fi at that point, not just one dude gets to hog up all the bandwidth and we, we all hate him, but... Yeah, I'm never lucky enough to be that guy. Oh, I did win a hundred bucks in Reno, though. That was kind of exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of not have lucky, you, have you saved any money on your car insurance, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> oh, people, we started so well on this podcast, and then we ended. Just Jeff and I are both just exhausted. Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. We had we had a good couple of we had a good strong like that first ninety minutes was kind of forte, and then the last. And then we just yeah, then it fell apart. That's what you come here for, people. You come here for a strong start and a weekend. Yeah, that, exactly, exactly. Come for the comics, stay for the disintegrating conversation. So, come for the comics, leave when they stop talking comics. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, will your eyes sing the mode? Uh, good question. Why don't you, Graham? I've, I've, my throat feels a little parched. Bye. See, so much better than what. Well done. Well done. Yay! Well done.